0: Thanks for being with us. Uh, it's a Easter Sunday. It's a Sunday of, of joy and of peace and, and we celebrate the resurrection. We've been in this series that I've, I have called the wrong Jesus. Not that there's anything wrong with Jesus, uh, but sometimes we have a wrong uh, perception about him and leads us to wrong expectations of him. And when we have a wrong perception of Jesus and wrong expectations, when When he doesn't come through like we want him to, we end up questioning uh, him, his love, his power, his plan. And so what we want to do is in this series kind of maybe course correct some of the wrong beliefs we've had about Jesus. The crucifixion should have been no surprise to Jesus' followers. But nor should the resurrection have been a surprise. Jesus was very upfront about both. They just had a wrong perception of him. And for a while, they followed a wrong idea of Jesus, which led them to great disappointment and great disbelief. And I want to share with you how, how, how right up front Jesus was about his crucifixion and the resurrection. In Matthew 16, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are certain aspects of those four Gospels that they share in common. Now, they tell Jesus' a story from different perspectives, uh, but there's some things that they hold in common, and one of the things that all four of them hold in common were, were the last the last days of Jesus. And Jesus getting his, his disciples ready for those last days, uh, he, he just flat out said in, in, in Matthew 16, verse 21, he said, uh, the Bible says, From that day on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. I mean, he's real upfront and open about what's going to happen. And then just a chapter later in, in Matthew 17, he kind of reiterates this same thing said when they had come together in Galilee, he's with his disciples again, uh, and he said to them, the Son of Man, talking about himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. He's pretty pretty plain about that. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. So he's real up front and honest with what's going, what's going to happen. But the interesting thing is the disciples and how they responded to that news. It says they were filled with grief. Now, no. They're going to kill him, and on the third day, he's going to raise to life. Now, that's bad news. They're going to kill him, but that's good news. He's going to be raised to life. The thing that strikes me is the disciples' attitude about it. They were what? Filled with grief. See, this is, this is so intriguing to me, the idea of human nature, because we tend to focus on the negative and see if this isn't true for you. You hear bad news and good news, our focus usually is on the bad news. Like, why do we believe more in the bad than the possibility of the good? Now, for those who follow Jesus, now understand this, those who follow Jesus, resurrections should be the expectations. And I wonder why it is that so many of us are in prisons of despair because we've incarcerated ourselves there. We get stuck on the bad news. See, I think a lot of us have a lot in common with Jesus' first followers. Even if you're not currently a follower of Jesus, I think you probably got a lot in common with his first followers. I know I do. See, there was nobody outside the tomb running a countdown, he was really clear. I'm going to die, then I'm going to raise on the third day. There were, on this third day, the morning of the third day, nobody was outside the tomb running a count. Nobody was out there going 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, yeah. Like, like nobody was waiting for a resurrection. Here's, here's why. Because nobody expected nobody. That's pretty clever right there. I'm telling you, that's, that's good stuff. See, they knew what we know after a burial. After a burial, what do we know? We know there's a body in the ground. See, the thought of the resurrection, especially for his first followers, was like it is for us. It's kind of a far-fetched idea. They really wanted to believe, and at one time, maybe they thought they believed, but when it came down to it, they didn't believe. And here's why, and see if this isn't true. You've experienced this. Sometimes pain destroys belief. It's easy to believe something when you're not in excruciating pain. But when pain hits. See, sometimes our disappointment causes us to be disillusioned. And that's what his first followers are going through. And you might be in a moment right now where your current situation has pushed you past the point of hope. Such was the situation for Jesus' followers at the tomb. They were past the point of hope. Because nobody wanted to countdown. down. Though they heard bad news, good news, they got stuck on the bad news. And it's so interesting to me that the very people who would be the very mouthpieces for this new faith called Christianity documented their own disbelief. They didn't pretend like everything was okay. They didn't pretend like they didn't have any doubts and pain. and They didn't pretend their way through it. They documented their own disbelief. And I love that about Scripture. It's so real and it's so authentic. Here's what we have to understand. Oftentimes, disbelief can, can be part of the authenticity of faith. Your disbelief can be part of what makes your faith Authentic. It was one of the disciples who said, I believe, but help my unbelief, because there's parts of this, man, I just don't get it. See, when I consider the crucifixion as a follower of Jesus, because I am, and I consider the crucifixion, my mind goes to looking at the attitude that we have at bad news of a dead end. As a follower of Jesus, I'm intrigued at what our attitude is with the bad news of a dead end. Because that's where these followers were. They were experiencing the bad news of a dead end. In Luke chapter 24, this is the story of the resurrection we're going to look at. Luke 24, on the first day of the week. So this, was, this would be that resurrection Sunday. Very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord. Jesus was gone. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. He's risen. Remember how he told you when he was with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And then I love how this little passage ends. Then they remember. See, on the way to the tomb, Mark, as he records these events in Mark chapter 16, he talks about these two women making their way to the tomb. And what they talk about on their way to the tomb is this one question. Who's going to roll away the stone? That's, that's something we don't learn in Luke, but we learn it in Mark. See, they had bad news. Jesus was dead because they know what we know. When someone dies, you put a body in the ground. He's so they had bad news, but they also had a barrier. They had the bad news of the crucifixion. They had the barrier of this immovable stone. But these were women who had walked with Jesus. These were women. These were women for whom a stone in the way wasn't going to prevent them from making their way to him. So they walked with their spices. They walked with their heartache. They walked with their disbelief. They walked with their doubt. They walked with their pain. But they walked to where they knew him to be. Oh, the love of a woman that will not quit. See, they love Jesus in the midst of bad news. You know why? You know why these women were the first ones to go to the tomb? I'll tell you why. Because love does. Love takes action in the midst of pain. Love finds expression even when the one loved might not be around to receive it. They still wanted to honor the one they loved. Even in death, they weren't going to let him stink. See, the the, the crucifixion happened so fast. There was an eight-hour period from 2 in the morning till 10 in the morning. But Jesus went through six illegal trials, three civic and three religious. And they were all illegal. They were done outside the context of the law. And from the moment of the first trial to the moment of the crucifixion happened so fast. And then once the crucifixion happened, by law, religiously, they had to get his body in the ground. And they didn't have time to prepare it. So these women, in an act of love, because they weren't going to let him stink even in death. They were going to honor him and his reputation. They go to the tomb. Because love loves even when the one is, who is loved isn't near. Love does. Love does. See, our job is to love even when the one we love isn't close. Our job is to show love even when we think the one we love won't see it. Love does. And if get this, if these women were willing to do this for a dead body, how much more than us of one who's alive? Verses 2 and 3 says that when they got there, they found the stone was rolled away. The immovable stone that could have kept them paralyzed in grief and paralyzed in fear and paralyzed in inactivity under their covers in that morning, that very stone, that immovable stone was rolled away. So one obstacle was gone, but they faced another obstacle. Jesus wasn't there. And how many of us know this? That just when you get through one problem, there's another problem lurking right around the corner. You just, it seems like you move from problem to problem to problem. Their new problem is that Jesus wasn't around. Have you ever been there? Have you ever looked for Jesus and you couldn't find him? Do you ever look in places where you last saw him, he wasn't there? Do you ever look for Jesus in places he's supposed to be, and he's not there? Do you ever look for Jesus where you heard where he was, from and he's not there? See, ours may be the same problem that the first disciples faced, these first women faced. Luke 24 says, in their fright, they're surprised by these two angels that are there. The stone being rolled away and Jesus' body being gone. In their fright, these women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to him, these angels said to him, Why are you looking for the living in dead places? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you? Remember the words he spoke to you? See, here's our problem. We look for new life in dead ends because we're looking in the wrong places. We share so much in common with these women. We look for new life in dead ends because we're looking in the wrong places. See, here's what happens. Bad news makes us look in wrong places for good news. That's what happens in life. Jesus never said he would be where they were looking for him. They're looking in wrong places. And we do the same thing. We search for life in places of death. We search for living in places of dead ends. We search for meaning in things that are inconsequential. Careers and prominence and positions. We're just like them. We search for significance in things that are insignificant. Have you ever looked back on something that you thought was so important years later only to realize the ridiculousness of the importance you placed on it? Looking for life in wrong places. And then the question that breaks the silence of insignificance. Why are you looking for life here? Why are you looking for life here? You're in the wrong place. See, we oftentimes forget that life isn't at a place. Life is in a person. We want a new location, we want a new relationship, we want a new thing, we want a new event. Here's the thing. The problem with looking for new life in new locations is you take your old self into a new place and pretty soon that new place is infected with your old self. See, we're just like the first disciples. We're looking for new life in dead ends because we're looking in the wrong places. But also, we look for new life in dead ends. Because we've just misunderstood the way to life. We're functioning off some misunderstandings. We think a new self will result from new behavior. Like can we just change our behavior, we'll create a new self. See, religion, here's the problem with religion. And, and you need to know, I'm not a religious person, and flip side, isn't a religious per- church. Because here's the problem with religion. Religion is often just a complex system of behavioral modification. That's all religion is. If you do the right things long enough and you don't do the bad things, then your life will change. That's religion. The problem is that we cannot modify our behavior long enough to last. Here's the truth. We cannot modify behavior apart from God modifying our heart. That's the difference between religion in a relationship with Jesus. And that's why so many people are their same old self. See if this isn't true. That's why so many people are their same old self because they try to change, but they can't. And we are not who we really want to be because we've not yet allowed God to change our heart. We try real hard to change our behavior. We try real hard to be religious. We've just misunderstood the way to life see here's what happened in the past God initiated transformation with the set of rules and he was just getting the ball rolling and so he gave 10 his 10 rules and man got a hold of those 10 rules and created 613 adaptations to those rules trying to modify their behavior and so and all that did was lead to oppression and depression Because it was religion. And so God came around and reiterated his list of 10 down to 3 through the prophet Hosea. And he said, I only got 3 for you now. See if you can get this right. Love God, do justly, and walk humbly with me. And man got a hold of those rules and misunderstood them and reverted back to the complexity of religion. And religion won again. And so Jesus came down and said, you had 10, and then we boiled it down to 3. Now I'm going to boil it down to 2. Love God and love people. And he spent his life living the example of how to do both. And he spent his life giving expression and clarity to God's rules and his word for our lives. But people misunderstood because we like rules. Some of you are addicted to rules. Like you have your sandbox. Everybody has their sandbox. Everybody has to play within the rules. And you're so addicted to rules, you make really good religious people. Here's why we like rules. Because rules tell us who's in and rules tell us who's out. And by our rules, by the religious rules, we think if you do what you're supposed to do and do what's expected long enough and well enough, you're in. But if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're out. That's religion and that's why we like rules. Don't misunderstand the way to life. Don't misunderstand the way to life. Don't look for new life in dead places because you've misunderstood the way to life. I'm going to tell you what it is. The way to life is this, to admit that I have a sin problem. When I live outside of a relationship with God and outside of God's perfect standard, the Bible calls that sin, and I have a sin problem. There's no way I can live up to God's perfect standard. I can't even live up to my own standard. You know how many things I desire for myself and what I want to, and I don't live up to my own. How can I ever live up to God's perfect standard? I have a sin problem. And I have to realize that I can't bridge the gap between me and God by my behavior. I can't be good enough. Now, I might be be better than a lot of people um, because I know a lot of people. (laughs) But I guarantee you I'm not as good as some. And I can't even live it to my own stem, so I know that my behavior not—it can't bridge the gap between me and God. And the third thing I have to realize is this, that Jesus bridged the gap between me and God through the cross. It was the only thing that could. So through the cross, Jesus bridged the gap between my behavior and God. Which leads us to this realization that the resurrection is proof that Jesus was enough, and the resurrection is my access to God. See, if Jesus hadn't been enough, he'd have stayed dead. But the resurrection is proof that he was enough. And that resurrection is my access to God, so that now I am right with God through a relationship and through faith with Jesus and his resurrection. Gee, it doesn't have anything to do with my behavior. It has to do with what Jesus has already done on the cross, resurrected from the grave, and my faith in him. Our problem is that we look for new life and dead ends because we've just misunderstood the way to life. Just like his first disciples. But we've got another problem. We also look for new life and dead ends because we've forgotten what we once knew. We've forgotten what we've been told. Maybe you heard long ago and you believed back then, but these days are different. Maybe it was years ago when you believed and years ago when you bought into it, but now these days, these are different days. Way back when, when you were young, you believed, but now you're older and now it's different. Or maybe. You've been through so much disappointment and hurt in life, and your heart's been broken over and over and over again, that you think maybe, maybe back then, I could believe it, but now, these days are just different. I I love the scripture that says the angel told the angel, looked at these women who were misunderstanding the way to life, and the angel said this: Remember what he told you. Just take a moment and remember what Jesus said. And right after that, the Bible records, then they remembered." See, they remembered because they reengaged with the words of God, the good news of the resurrection. See, here's what happens when we start to drift away from God the thing that rights the ship is hearing the words of God again as recorded in the Bible about the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to share with you the good news. The good news is Jesus when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Come to me and live even when things die. That's the good news. And when we remember that, it draws us back. See, those who once followed who no longer follow, those who once walked with who have now walked away, usually their walk away begins with listening to the words of others, doubts of God and disappointments in God, then they listen to the words of God. Remember what he said? So I need to ask us this morning, here's my, I got to ask this. What words of Jesus have you forgotten? What promises have you unbelieved? What commands have you unobeyed? What truths have you relaxed for a more convenient alternative? Return to his words and remember. Because it's in the remembering that we find Jesus and it's in the remembering that we hear the good news. Remember what he said? That he would rise again? The story of the resurrection, these two women go to the tomb. They have this experience. They go back and tell the guys. And you you know how it goes oftentimes, fellas. uh, We hear these grandiose stories from women. And our first thought is, you are out of your ever-loving mind. You know, it it can't be what you say. I mean, and, and so they have to go find out for themselves. So a couple of fellas run to the tomb. One of them was Peter. Peter was one who followed Jesus, who was also at the tomb after the women. Peter is one who once believed, then he unbelieved, and then he denied he ever believed, and then he rebelieved. Peter is once who, one who believed. He followed Jesus. He saw the miracle. He did some incredible things alongside Jesus. He believed. And then when Jesus was arrested and going through these trials, Peter's watching what happens from afar. And he's questioned about being a follower of Jesus. And out of fear, and out of being scared for his life, because he didn't want to go through what Jesus was going through, he unbelieved. He said, no, I don't, I'm not one of his. And then, as the trials continue, Peter's questioned by like the little 12-year-old middle school girl, and he gets so scared that he denies he ever believed. He said, I don't know who he is. I've, I've never known who he is. And then, after the crucifixion and the resurrection he's at the tomb, he looks, there's no Jesus, and he re-believes. So this man Peter, who believed, who unbelieved, who denied he ever believed, and then he re-believed. This Peter, who tradition tells us that, that he went on to be such a man of faith that he was crucified for his faith in the risen Jesus. But when they came to Peter and to, to enact this, this punishment of crucifixion, Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus, and so crucify me upside down. Can you imagine the faith of a man who believed, who unbelieved, who denied he ever believed and re The faith of a man that, in looking at crucifixion, not only would allow himself to be crucified because he would not deny his faith, but demanded that it be crucified upside down. That Peter. What would make a man believe that greatly? One thing. And Peter tells us. He tells us in 1 Peter 1, look at what he says. Praise be to the God, Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. Through what? Look at what it says. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, fail the IRS, take away. Though for a little while, you may now have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Peter believed to the point of being crucified upside down and unshakably for one reason. He had seen the empty tomb and experienced the risen Lord, the risen Jesus. Here's what we've got to understand. Please don't miss this. Christianity is built on one foundation. There's one foundation that all of Christianity is built upon. And it's the risen Jesus. Christianity is not solely built on the Bible. And the church is not solely built on the Bible. Christianity is built on the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. The church is built on the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. All the Bible is is a story of the resurrection of Jesus. Easter changes everything. Jesus did not need the stone rolled away so we could get up and get out. We needed the stone away for our own realization of his resurrection. Had the stone not been rolled away, we wouldn't have been able to look in and see Jesus wasn't there. The stone was rolled away because we needed it moved. So we could see that the tomb was empty and Jesus was gone. Because that foundation would be what the entire church and scripture is built upon. You take out that one foundation. The whole thing comes crashing down like every other religious institution. This one's different. Because it's built on the reality of the resurrection. See, every tomb that once held a body still holds a body. Except this one. This one thing, the resurrection of Jesus, is the hinge point that all of creation, uh, Christianity is built upon. This one thing, the resurrection of Jesus, is the hinge point that makes it different than every other faith proposition. Peter says you have this living hope because of the resurrection. When he uses the living hope of a living Christ, That word hope is not a verb. It's not something I do. It's not something like, well, I hope so. I hope it works out. I hope the Raiders have a good season now that they move to Vegas. That's something I do. It's not that kind of hope. It's a hope that is not a verb. It's a hope that's a noun. A noun is what? A person, place, or thing. This is a thing that is able to be possessed. It's a living hope because of a living Jesus. And it's something that those who follow Jesus who have understood and accept the good news of the resurrection, have. we possess that kind of hope. And that's the hope that Peter held on to. See, Peter's faith, Peter's faith was not built on the idea that if God is all-loving and all-powerful, he doesn't let bad things happen. His faith wasn't built on that. And I know what happens And when things get really, really bad in our lives. You think, God, if you're all love and if you're all powerful, why do you allow a pandemic that kills so many people? That's not the the foundation that Peter's faith was built upon. See, Peter saw the most horrific torture devised in the heart of man. Peter saw the worst of humanity unleashed on the best of heaven. Peter saw the worst of humanity unleashed on his own life and his own crucifixion. And he never doubted God's love. Why? He didn't walk away from the faith. Why? Because he had seen the empty tomb and he had experienced the resurrection in Jesus. And nothing, nothing was going to shake that. See, Peter's faith was not built on a house of cards of rainbows and unicorns. It wasn't built on one that was shaken by the pains of this world. It was was a faith that was on the foundation that would endure pain. It would endure disappointment because he knew the empty tomb and he knew the resurrected Jesus. And if your faith or worldview is built on anything other than that, I guarantee you it will come crumbling down. Paul later in scripture would would say these words. In writing to the church in Corinth, he would say this. For what I've received, I've passed on to you as primary importance. And he lists nine things. He said, what I'm about to tell you is of primary importance. And he says this. One, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Two, that he was buried. Three, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Four, that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter. Five, and then to the twelve, six. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are alive, though some have died. Where are we? Are we at seven now? Seven, that he appeared to James. Eight, that then he appeared to all the apostles. Nine, and then he appeared to me. Paul is saying, I'm writing these things to you while those who actually saw the risen Jesus with their own lives are still alive. So if you want to, you can go ask him about it yourself. See, here's what I know. If the Romans could have produced a dead body of Jesus, they would have done it right away. In order to destroy what they thought was a political movement against their authority, they couldn't produce a body. The Jews would have been the first to produce a body if they could in order to squash these new Jesus followers from getting some momentum because these new Jesus followers threatened the religious institution's power and control. They couldn't produce a body. i tell you, it's real easy to prove somebody's dead show their body. If you can going to show a dead body, it's proof they're dead. If there's no body, there's no death. The empty tomb and the lack of the body, the empty tomb and the, and the lack of a body is one of the most confirmed events in all of ancient history. It's undeniable, both from a faith perspective and a historical record. So the question that we've got to answer is not... Is there a resurrected Jesus? That's the wrong question. Both from a historical record, from a faith uh, perspective, and from the biblical record, it's undeniable. There's no body. Nobody's ever been able to produce it. So the question is not, is there a resurrected Jesus? The question is twofold that we've got to answer. One, are you going to choose to accept the resurrected Jesus? Or two, are you going to admit that you deny him? There's only two options. So let, let, me just, let me just wrap this up and tell you this. This is why. I'm going to tell you why, why Easter is so important. I'm going to tell you why Easter matters so much. I'm going to tell you why this good news changes everything. You ready? Look at this. When you believe in the resurrection, you can expect what's next to come from what's buried. When you believe in the resurrection, you can expect what's next to come from what's been buried. You can expect something new to come from what once was. That's why this matters. That's why it's so important. That's why Easter is so transformational. Because of the resurrection, get this, because of the resurrection, God already knows what you're wondering about. He's already been where you're afraid to go. And he's not worried about what's next. If you believe in the, if you really believe in the resurrection, if I really believe in the resurrection, I'm going to sleep in peace tonight. If I really believe in the resurrection, I wouldn't have, not that I do, but you wouldn't have an ulcer. If you believed in the resurrection, you wouldn't have all the worry lines on your face. If you believe in the resurrection, because you know that no matter what the current is, there's a resurrection coming. And God's already been where I'm afraid to go. And he's not worried about it, so I don't have to be either. See, the resurrection changes everything. The implication of the resurrection is profound. And here's the truth. God may allow some things to die. He will. Whether it's a career, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a hope or a dream, he will allow things to die. Let's not fool ourselves. But he's willing to bring a resurrection from those things. I guarantee it. But he just, if you've experienced the death of one of those things, God may be willing to bring a resurrection in your life, but he's waiting for you to give him permission through your submission. See, how we give God permission to move in our lives is through the act of submission. When We say, God, this looks like a dead end. This looks like an ending. This looks like a crucifixion. But I will submit to your plan. And in that submission, we give him permission to begin the process of a resurrection. I'm going to tell you the hard part about resurrections. Come up here, band. You've got to start playing because I'm just going to keep going. Here's the thing. Here's the hard part about resurrections. Here's the hard part about resurrections. The hard part about resurrections is that there's always a Saturday before a Sunday. Just think about this for a minute. Jesus was crucified on Friday. Then there was a Saturday. And then he was resurrected on Sunday. The hard part about, crucif- about resurrections is that there's always a Saturday before a Sunday. There's always a Saturday after crucifixion Friday. Before Resurrection Sunday, Friday crucifixions would not be difficult if there were a Friday resurrection. You understand what I'm saying? Like Friday crucifixions wouldn't be so bad if there were a Friday resurrection. But the problem is a crucifixion happens on a Friday and then you got a Saturday before you get to a Sunday resurrection. And the problem is with the Saturday because you don't know how long the Saturday's gonna be. You don't know how dark the Saturday's gonna be. You don't know how, how cold the Saturday's gonna be. Some Saturdays feel like they're 72 days long. But the Saturday has to happen before the Sunday can appear. There's such an unknown in the Saturdays. And because there's such an unknown, we end up walking away from the resurrection of a Sunday because the Saturday is so scary and it's so dark and it's so unknown. Some of you right now are in the Saturday. and you've experienced the crucifixion of a Friday, and you're sitting there in this Saturday, and it's just, there's so much unknown, and there's so much sadness, and there's so much grief, and there's so much turmoil, and there's so much unknown, and there's so much stress, and there's so much worry, and you're sitting there in your Saturday thinking, I don't know if a Sunday's coming. I want to tell you this, that the good news is that Sunday is guaranteed if if you're submitting to Jesus's way and so please please don't walk out while in a dead saturday cuz you'll miss your sunday resurrection don't walk out because you're in a dead saturday cuz if you do you'll miss the sunday resurrection But please understand this, the only way we walk into a Sunday resurrection is by walking in concert with the Jesus of the resurrection. So now is the time, and now is your time to walk into the resurrection that has been prepared for you since the beginning of time. Every benefit of the resurrection Every benefit of the resurrection is available, not through your behavior, not through religion, not by being good, not by not doing the bad things and doing the. Every benefit of the resurrection is possible for you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus Christ is initiated, sustained and maintained through faith, not through your behavior. Through faith, not through religion, through faith. And faith, it's because of this amazing grace that when we say, Jesus, I believe in you, your life, death, and resurrection, we're ushered into this grace that gives us what we don't deserve, do, the blessing we don't, do, the resurrections we don't deserve. So my question is real simple: is that what you want? Is that your desire? It's my desire every day to experience the grace of a resurrection every day in my life. Is that what you want? It's the guarantee of good news. And if you want that new life, if you've been in a dead end, if you're in the midst of a Saturday and you want the Sunday guarantee, the good news in the midst of bad times, it's through faith because of God's grace. And you have the opportunity right now to enter into that. And so in this moment, I want to invite you to pray with me. Just where you are, the quietness of your own heart between you and God. I'm going to say a prayer. You can use your own words. It doesn't really matter as long as it's the heart that's crying out. And I invite you to say something like this between you and God right now. God, I admit I'm a sinner. I can't even live up to my own standards, let alone yours. I've broken your law. And I'm sorry. I admit it. And I know I cannot bridge the gap between where I am and where you are, God, without Jesus. And so I believe and I accept the truth that he lived and he died and he raised to life for me. And God, I invite you to come into my life and to create a resurrection, a new life in me. And as best as I know how, I'm going to follow you. That's it. That's that's the prayer. That's the prayer. Here's what I'm asking. If you've prayed a prayer like that, I would love to know if you would go to our website or on our app and choose to connect with us and let us know that I'm following Jesus. That I believe that he's alive. That this amazing grace is now part of my life i would love to know so would you do that please i'd love to be able to follow up with you as we close out this service here's the thing the resurrection happened and it matters and it changes everything and no longer do we have to be tied to a system of behavior to make sure we're trying to be good enough it's simply by god's grace his amazing grace That we can have a relationship with him and walk in new life with new power and a new resurrection. That we know the Sunday's coming, even though the Saturday we're in right now might be dark and cold and bitter. We know a Saturday's coming, not because we've earned it, not because we're good, not because we've done everything right, we've done everything wrong. But a Sunday's coming because of God's grace. Let's sing about that. It's amazing.